0: Well good evening, And uh, as we conclude our offering there, we are getting into our time in the word, and we'll be in Colossians 316 tonight. Many weeks ago, I bought uh, plane tickets to go to Florida to visit my parents, and uh, that was this past week. I have to say, the weather was spectacular. And I had a very wonderful time. Well, I got back last night, and right before the service, I overheard somebody say something about bad weather or something. I don't know. And I wondered if maybe somebody afterwards would come tell me what that was all about, because I really apparently missed that. But uh, it is good to be back with you. And it's good to have, I saw my wonderful assistant, Tina Stinnett, and her husband, Tim, I think I saw them walking in. I am not know they sit over here somewhere, but Tim has had just a real rough time, and we've been praying, and uh, Tim is here tonight, which is a real answer to prayer, and that would be a good chance for Tim to say amen. 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 Good to have Tim and Tina here tonight. <clears throat> it seems to me there are a lot of things that we do as Christians that we just kind of do. We don't necessarily know why we do them the way that we do them, but we just sort of do them because we've always done them and perhaps we grew up doing it and it's the thing that we do. One of our uh, passions here at Bethel Church is to ground everything that we do in a biblical framework. So that we know why we're doing what we're doing and how to do it in a way that glorifies God. And so over the years, we've talked about many, many, many different subjects and how to do those things to the glory of God and what they're all about. Well, our series in 1 Corinthians, uh, we just wrapped up chapter 14, which brought us through a section of teaching on... Uh, corporate worship and what that ought to be like. And the two priorities that Paul lays out in chapter 14 are that we are to do everything for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ and that that's really why we're here. We're here to, 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 to build others up. The church is the people, and so we are here for one another and to use the gifts that God has given us to do that. And the second priority is that because God is a God of order, the way that we conduct ourselves in our corporate gatherings ought to reflect that God is a God of, of peace and not a God of confusion and disorder. So this weekend, what we're doing is we're just kind of pulling back from uh, First Corinthians and taking a look broadly at the whole matter of corporate worship and what this is all about because Let's just face it, millions of Christians every weekend are gathering in churches, and every Christian church that I know of always has a time of singing and music, and, and it's just one of those things that we do, and it can be so easily confused because we don't necessarily know why we're doing what we're doing, and we haven't really thought about necessarily how to do that in a way that glorifies God. I'm just suggesting that possibility might be there. And so this is a priority for us at our church, and every once in a while, we want to stop and say, okay, what is this whole worship thing all about? What is singing and music, and why are we prioritizing it with time and staff and people and energy? And so that's where we're going tonight. Are you with me? I mean, we've already done this, and maybe as we were doing it, some of you were thinking to yourselves, why are we doing this? I don't understand. Well, you're about to. (laughs) So if you're not in Colossians 3.16, why don't you turn there? There would be many passages that we could use uh, and study in this, but this is one of my favorites. Here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That is our scripture tonight. Let's take it apart. Notice, first of all, that it is a verse that is filled with action. There's all kinds of things in here that we are to uh, to do. Lots of verbs. First of all, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let's identify what is this word of Christ. If it's to dwell in us richly, we better know what it is. Well, the word of Christ is just, it's kind of a broad term for the truth about Christ. Or we might say it this way, the gospel of Christ. Now, what is the gospel of Christ? One of our favorite ways of describing it here is simply this, that we are great sinners and Christ is a great savior back the tape. We are great sinners and Christ is a great savior. Roll back the tape. You get what I'm saying here. This is like our passion. This is the thing that we care the most about. It is that it is the gospel of Christ, the truth of Christ, the word of Christ. And we could also include in there uh, the Bible, the scriptures, which are is is the word about the word he's called the word in john 1 and so this is the word about the word this whole book is about christ and so the word of christ would include the scriptures as well so maybe to summarize it you could say the gospel plus the scriptures equals the word of christ let the word of christ dwell in you richly okay now that's the there therein lies the challenge what does that mean the word there literally means this, to be at home, to, to, to be at home somewhere. It's, it's, it's a kind of a, a description of a, a, a certain comfort or a, a, a hominess. It is, it is there fully. Maybe in your home, you're, when you're at home, I'm, I'm fully at home. I am totally comfortable there. I love it there. I live there. For a Christian, the gospel of Christ, I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. The word is to be very comfortable within us. It is to dwell richly within us, to be recurringly uh, within us. I think that's what he's saying here. Now, this, of course, is true in a sense, even in the most spiritually comatose churches and Christians. If you find a church that is actually a church, somewhere in their doctrinal statement is the gospel, and somewhere, probably sitting around somewhere, is a Bible. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is dwelling richly. This is kind of lang- it's, here's the issue. I mean, you can know it, but is it treasured? Is it is it valued? Is it loved? Is it is it lived for? Is it alive? Is it vibrant? That is the word of Christ that is dwelling richly. So that you have all kinds of people that profess Christ. I won't say whether they're Christians or not. But they know the word of Christ, but it hasn't dwelled richly in them in a very long time, if ever. And then there are others that the word of Christ is dwelling richly in them. And there's a certain enthusiasm and and a kind of vibrancy for Christ that they have. And that's what this is calling us to. Let that truth live in your heart in a wonderful and and I keep saying the word vibrant but it's all that comes to my mind. In a vibrant, vibrant, vibrant way. (laughs) Yes, indeed. A church that is filled with Christ-centered word of Christ dwelling richly gospel-loving and treasuring people will be a church that sings because they can't help it. They can't help it. Now, the verse describes three activities that we are to do with one another. Teach, admonish, and sing. Teaching, is the communication of God's truth. And this can be anything from preaching to Bible studies to blogging, you know, about some matter from a Christian worldview. Anything like that is a kind of teaching and that vibrancy of teaching. Let that be a part of your church. Admonishing is the application of God's truth specifically into a brother or sister's life. That can be a challenge. It can be an encouragement. It can be a rebuke. And then thirdly, and this is the thing that we're focusing on, is to sing. And it says that we are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing. Now, the Greek word here is one of the most plainly obvious ones that you'll ever come across. Do you want to know what it means, the Greek word for sing? To make melody with your vocal cords. Actual dictionary definition. To make melody with your vocal cords. La, 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 la. Do that with me. La, 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 la. That was some very dissonant chord I just did there. But it is to engage the vocal cords in making melody. That is what it means to sing. Now you're thinking, this is not a profound message whatsoever. Some people are confused on this point when it comes to corporate worship in church. They confuse singing with silence. (laughs) Staring. Make melody with your vocal cords. Now, it's interesting because the first part of this verse is, is all imperative. In other words, these are commands. Do this, do this, do this. But when you get to the singing, it's not... In the imperative, and I think the reason for that is that Paul just assumes that somebody who has the word of Christ dwelling in them richly isn't going to have to be told to sing. It's just going to happen. Why? Well, probably for the same reason he doesn't command breathing. Healthy bodies don't have... You don't have to tell your kids, would you breathe? Breathe, I'm telling you right now. Why? Because if they're healthy, they'll breathe, right? And healthy churches sing. And healthy Christians sing. They just can't help it. Now let's take this apart a little bit. Why is that the case? Well, I think it has to do with uh, happiness in Jesus. We go back to the beginning of the verse, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. When... When the gospel of Christ inside of me is personally cherished and loved. When that's going on right here, it works its way up through the neck and to the vocal cords and it comes out as a song. Did you get that? Happiness here leads to... Singing here, so the key is not to try to manufacture something to come out of the mouth, because that would simply be a kind of hypocrisy. Which, of course, is what Jesus said to the Pharisee: "You, you know, you claim uh, you, you you claim to know God, but you're, with your lips, but your hearts are far from you, from Him." Right? So they were. They were flapping their lips in praise, but there was no reality in the heart. God's not pleased with that. Okay, so we're not looking for any pharisaical Christians here. If you're not happy, then please remain silent. You're being true to your heart, and okay, that's fine. Better to be true than to be a hypocrite about it. Okay, but that is not what biblical Christianity is. And that's not what it means to get the gospel. Because when we get the gospel, it is it is a source of joy. And so as we let that marinate in our hearts, it is for the Christian then a source of joy in song, of melody, of singing. So you get it again. Happiness here leads to singing here. Are you all with me, amen? Okay, all right. Now, I hesitate to do this because I've been mocked for years for doing it, but I will venture to do it at least one more time. Here's how it works. Gladness here comes out like that. All right? That's what joy sounds like, like that. So the key is to get happy in Jesus. Good churches have happy Christians in them. And happy Christians like to sing. It just happens that way. And this is why Christianity has always been a singing faith. You know, if you study the world religions, Christianity is unique in its uh hymnology in its in its music it has produced so much more than any other religion in the world christians have always been singers and uh it started from the beginning a a great example of this is the story of paul and silas when they were arrested and they were thrown in prison and do you remember the story there they are they've been beaten they're in a horrible place uh their 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 arms and legs are in chains and the text says about midnight, so not only is it's late on top of everything else, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Notice the only people in the prison who were singing. It was, it was the missionary and his friend. Now, I don't know what you likely would be doing if you had been beaten and, and, and injustice, unjustly thrown into prison, and if your cha- your arms and legs were in, in chains, I can think of many things that I would likely be doing, complaining, whining, crying out to God for mercy, something like that, but they were singing. Why? Because they were the only people in that prison who had a source of joy that was not determined by their circumstances. They were glad in Jesus, even in prison. And they sang. Jesus. Mark tells us the night that Jesus was betrayed. They were in the upper room. He knows he's hours away from being arrested and all the things that would lead to his death within within hours. And what does he do? It says that they sang a hymn together. And then they went to the Mount of Olives. Again, I don't know what you would do just hours before your execution. But Jesus sang. He sang. Here's a little glimpse from church history. Tertullian in the second century writes this, a description of a typical church worship service. After water for the hands and lights have been brought in, each is invited to sing to God in the presence of others from his own heart. Second century. What are the Christians doing? They're singing. They're singing. If you, it not have time tonight, but if we look to Revelation 4 and 5, there's the beautiful picture of all the saints gathered around the throne. There Christ is in the center. And what are we doing? We are singing. So it began with singing. It exists with singing. It will always have singing. Christianity is a singing faith. And one indication that you get it is joy here leading to song here. Just does that. Can't help it. Even in heaven, that will be true. All right, so back to our verse. Paul has three descriptions of the kinds of songs to sing. He says, Psalms... Hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's debate as to whether there's even really any distinction in these or not. And if there is, they're a little bit fuzzy, but we can maybe define them this way. A psalm is a song to God, typically taken from the Old Testament psalms. And, uh, maybe you grew up in a church that sang, uh, from the Psalter, for example, or many modern day songs are psalms put to music. Hymns are songs sung to God or are about God, okay? What makes a a song a hymn is not that it's old. What makes a song a hymn is its content. And so we sing many modern songs here at the church. What it says about God or to God makes it a hymn. And a spiritual song is kind of like a gospel song. Just a song about the spiritual Christian experience of some kind, and there's many of those as well. Now, this doesn't mean that these are the only songs that Christians should sing, uh, but it does call us in our corporate gatherings to sing songs like this and to focus on them. Now, Paul concludes the verse with a final command. How are we to sing? Notice, he says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Okay, With gratitude in your hearts to God. Which kind of brings this whole thing full circle. If the word of Christ is dwelling richly in me, the gospel, and I'm getting happy about that, it leads then to a kind of expression in song, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, that is to God an expression of my gratitude for the word of Christ that dwells in me richly. And so the thing goes the full circle. It starts with Christ, God, Works its way through us, the human vessel, the human worship. And it ends with worship and praise to God for what Christ has done. That is, if 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 you were to dissect corporate song or Christian praise, that is what it is. Take out any part there, and it's not that anymore. Take the gospel out, it's not that anymore. Take the gratitude out. And it's just empty praise. Take God out of the picture and it's just blah, right? But you put the word of Christ and you put uh, uh, the song and the heart and the gratitude and it's a wonderful and fantastic thing and a wonderful gift to every believer. The opportunity to sing praise to God. So... Let's move then to a couple other things about corporate worship. I want to talk with you about music, okay? What is the role then of music? Because he hasn't said anything about music here. In fact, you'll look, you'll look very hard in the New Testament to find any real guidance in terms of music itself. There is very, very little about, uh, you know, melodies and harmonies and uh, you know, instruments and, and that sort of thing. There's much more in the Old Testament. We'll get to that in a second. But one of the things that the silence on this in the New Testament does is I think it troubles some people, and those people oftentimes are troubled because they assume that God only likes their kind of music. Now, if God, if it said in there, worship in, you know, God only likes country, all right? <laughs> Then we would know, and you know what? Every church in the world would sing country music in worship. But there isn't anything. And so the result of that, in the, in the gap, the silence there, is everyone fills in, well, of course, because God likes my kind of music. Well, that's a hard, that's a hard argument to make, I think. I think the reason that the Bible is silent about as to style of music and instrumentation of music is that God loves the variety. He loves the variety. So think about, for example, all the different kinds of worship that God hears on every, like just take tomorrow, whatever the date is tomorrow, February, whatever. All the different styles that God is going to hear from his people in worship around the world. So the sun rises in uh, in Asia, and there we have Asian believers that are expressing in their culture and through their musical language, praise to God. And uh, then it, it moves, let's see, the sun goes, goes the other way around. So it goes to, um, I didn't write this out, I'm making it up as I go. It goes to Russia. And in Russia, there's a whole nother kind of vibe and feel that they're all about there. And, and then, and, and then we think maybe of Africa. And I've been in praise services in Africa and it's a whole lot different than in Russia, let me tell you, because they, it is very, it is sort of more, uh, kind of organic and clapping and sort of the dancing and vibrant. And they're doing their thing there. And it's a lot different than what they're doing in Russia. And it's a lot different than the cathedral in Europe where they're doing their own mm, 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 you know and and you move to the you know the east coast of America where you got a lot of high church stuff going on and there's more of that mm, 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 and the organs are going and people are praising God very uh, reverently and seriously and even in America, I mean, even in our town, there's all kinds of different expressions of worship as God's people gather. And think of in one day, all these different kinds of expressions that God hears. And it's not like God's in heaven tuning his radio going, I only like this one kind. He's, he's listening to all the stations at once. He's just enjoying all of it at once as his people offer praise through their culture and through their their musical language, and it's different all over the world. And I think that's a good thing, and we ought to see it as a good thing as well. Which leads then to the question, well, then what is the role of music? Because you don't need, I mean, maybe you need a little bit of melody to sing a hymn. But you don't need an instrument with it. And there are many, there are denominations that have no instruments at all. In fact, uh, Spurgeon's church, they would hit a tuning fork and the whole congregation would sing. You know, that's just the way that they did it. Uh, what it then is the role of music? Well, here's here, the answer is simple, okay? It is enhancement. Music enhances what is already a wonderful opportunity to sing praise to God because music is powerful. And we all know that. I I saw an ad today on TV for the Grammys next weekend, and they're, you know, hyping this. Oh, the music, it's going to be amazing. Our culture loves Music, And you don't have to be a Christian to love and and be touched deeply by music. It has that kind of power. I've never met anybody who doesn't like music. Everybody likes some kind of music. Well, the power of music, when combined with a lyric of truth, together in Christian worship, enhances the opportunity, and I think touches the affections, within in a way that simply doing it, sort of, you know, uh, just saying the words never would. I can say, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And that truth is that there's enough truth there totally to get fired up. But it's so much... More affection-grabbing if I say, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Right? Just kind of sucks you into the truth. Or I can say, Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer. But it's so much cooler to go, Jesus, Messiah, Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. Let's keep going, everyone. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? I mean, it's just, that's what music does. It grabs you. And when the lyric has spiritual truth in it that the Christian is delighting in anyway, that comes together in a very powerful and wonderful opportunity of expression which is praise. Now, we have to make a careful distinction though between worship and music. Because corporate worship is much more than music. okay? And we try to word our things appropriately because prayer is worship. Tithes and offering is worship. Preaching, this is, this is worship, what's going on right now. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.31, everything is worship. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. Okay, so worship is much more than simply music, but the music in the corporate gathering ought definitely to be worship. So, music enhances that, which is, I think, why so much of the Old Testament is given over to the subject of praise and, and, and worship. I mean, this, there's a whole, the, the biggest book in the Bible is a worship guide. Psalms. They're all songs that they sang. And we don't know what the, the melody was, and some of the lyrics, I don't know, but hey, That that was a song book, and God inspired the Holy Spirit to include that in the canon of Scripture. It's there for a reason. And if you think about the last psalm, Psalm 150, which at the end gives it special distinction, here's the whole point of the psalm. If you have a horn, blow it. If you have a guitar, strum it. If you have a drum, beat it. Whatever you got, use it. To glorify God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's Psalm 150. It ends with this, boo. Why? Because it is our highest calling. Our greatest, we, we exist to glorify God. And we do that in all aspects of life. But as a corporate gathering, the opportunity to offer truth with music to God is, I think, like pinnacle experience when done properly. The actual list of instruments referred to is surprisingly long in the Bible. Trumpet, cymbal, flute, guitar, harp, organ, timbrel, lyre, human voice. There's also a lot in the Bible about uh if we could maybe call it physical worship of God, including dance, lifting hands, clapping. There's even statements of volume, loud noise and shouts listed as well. Now, what are these, all of these items here? They are simply human expression, right? They're, they're a means to human expression. If I got a guitar, I can play the guitar to the glory of God. If I got a violin, I can play the violin to the glory of God. If I got hands, I can use my hands to the glory of God. If I got vocal cords, I can use vocal cords to the glory of God. Happiness in Christ here can find all kinds of expression outwardly that is offered as praise to God. And the Bible just says, max it out. Max it out. Take whatever you got and use it for the glory of God. And when we do that, it is an incredible enhancement and blessing to the church. And that's what we want our times together to be. We want them to be deeply participatory and involving and affection grabbing. And you know what? Some services are going to be more that way than others. Some songs are more that way than others. Just like, you know, every, every dinner at your house isn't Thanksgiving, right? You've got some that are more meat and potatoes and some that are more sort of your best recipe. But over time, we want it to, the regular experience of worship at Bethel Church to be this. And so towards that goal, I want to share a couple of core values with you uh, in regards to corporate worship. Number one is Godward. Godward. Now this, to me, seems to be one of the most basic truths in worship. But if worship is going to be offered To God, then the direction of the service needs to be vertical. We're oriented towards God and His Word and the opportunity to praise Him and to say that we love Him and to sing songs that are Godward. And there are good songs that are not as Godward. They're fine. We're not condemning them. But when we get together, we only get to, we have time for four or five songs. Let's sing Godward ones. Let's sing ones that or enlarge the heart towards the Lord. Celebrate what Christ has done. You can listen to the other ones on the radio. Here's some verses. Again, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So one of the responsibilities of the leadership of the church, and, and frankly delegated to the leadership of our, from our worship team, is for them to intentionally plan services that lead hearts and minds of the church toward God. As free from distractions as we can, as free from silliness as we can, uh, to be serious about that, joyous for sure, but reverently worshiping God, as Hebrews says, because our God is a consuming fire. And when we get together, we're Godward, right? We are vertical. That's a priority for us. Secondly is excellence. Excellence. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. Psalm 33, verse 3. Now, we don't worship excellence and, you know, uh, we do the best that we can, but we want to do the best that we can, and we're doing it for the Lord. And so we'll plan as best we can, and you come and you praise as best you can, and I think that'll be done with excellence. Amen. Third, genuine enthusiasm. Genuine enthusiasm. And both those words are important there. We can be enthusiastic. Any junior high with a big game against the arch rival at a pep rally, they can be enthusiastic, right? Woo, whip everybody up into an emotional kind of, woo. we could do that here. It's not hard to do that. You play the instruments just the right way. You've kind of planned the service just the right way. And you play on the emotions of people. And you whip them into an emotional frenzy. But we're not looking for that. That's emotional-ism. We want genuine enthusiasm. Where it is flowing from the word of Christ dwelling richly within us. It's not just empty praise. But as Jesus said, it is worship that is in spirit and in truth that is what we're aiming for and frankly every time you see worship in the bible it's that way i mean if you if you go back to when they dedicated the temple under solomon or if you go uh to the celebration of israel after uh, god led them through the red sea or if you go into the book of revelation and the pictures of what worship is like in heaven there is there's no sense of it where people are like this is such a drag <sighs> There's none of that. I mean, it's like people are into it. That's what I want to say. That when we gather together, that we're into it. We're not just manufacturing some kind of a whoop-de-doo, a goosebump about Christ, but where we come through the doors with the word of Christ dwelling in us richly in such a way. It's, it's almost like, you know, our worship is on a hair trigger. All we need is the right song to start. Off we go. Why? Because we're already worshiping when we walk in the door. Mm. There's a whole lot I could say about that, about how to go to church, how to get your heart ready to worship God. You just can't walk in here and and expect suddenly, there's no magic dust that falls from heaven to suddenly make you uh, happy in Jesus. You've got to bring your happiness with you. Don't depend on us to somehow create it. Bring it with you. We'll give you an opportunity to say something to God about it. That's the worship service. Here's what Spurgeon said. God does not regard our voices. He hears our hearts. And if our hearts do not sing, we have not sung at all. I like that. Genuine. Now, here's the thing. We we offer genuine worship for anything that we're actually excited about. And it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. I have one example for you. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine offered me a ticket to the NFC Championship game Bears versus Packers, two weeks ago. I haven't been to an NFL game in probably five years. So the opportunity to go to an NFC, NFC Championship game, I prayed about it for like a half a second. <laughs> no, I shouldn't even joke about that. But um, I said, yes, thank you. I will be happy uh, to go. So while I was there, I had my phone with me and I filmed what I would call a genuine, enthusiastic worship expression. I'm going to show it to you. Now, I have to say, this is one of the most unflattering videos of me that I have ever seen. <laughs> But if you remember, if you were watching the game, the Bears didn't score until the third quarter. So this video was filmed after about two hours of sitting in the freezing cold. So bear that in mind. Give me a little grace. But go ahead and play the video. Well, here I am at the Bears game, and I thought that this would be a great example of what worship... Something. Just a thought for you. Now, man, let me just say to you I love you, okay? I love you. But I was at that game, big rough tumble, guys, big manly men, there they are, Bear Down, Chicago Bears. It's a sad day when there's more joy at Soldier Field than in the church of Jesus Christ. That is a sad day. May it not be true here. So this is a call to worship, to a fresh appreciation for what it means to gather with God's people and to celebrate what Christ has done for us and I just want to encourage us to the best that we can to be into it. Now, into it, again, is not a kind of false enthusiasm. Frankly, we ought to sing, you, you don't sing a song like uh, Lest I Forget Gethsemane the same way that you sing a song like Jesus Messiah. One is a celebrative song. One is a lament One is a song about what Christ has done. One is a song about how my sin caused that. So we need a certain maturity in our worship, a a bandwidth in our worship, that allows us to embrace both of those. Now, if the word of Christ, if the gospel is dwelling in our hearts, that won't be a problem because the gospel is both of those. It is both sorrow over my sin that I am a great sinner and joy that Christ is a great savior. It is both. Okay. Now, I have one little practical matter that I want to uh, comment on because we just sense that there's a little bit of confusion in the church uh, at times about how to respond To some of our moments in worship like are we supposed to amen are we supposed to clap are we not supposed to clap what are we supposed to do so just to clear that up a little bit while we're on the subject particularly i think clapping i kind of sense people are like (laughs) what are we doing listen the bible is for it so we are for it okay the Bible makes it very clear it's totally appropriate to do in worship. However, it needs to be appropriate to the song. Okay? There are some songs after which we should clap, and there are some songs after which we should cry. And when you clap after a cry song, it seems superficial. And when you don't clap after a celebrative song, you wonder if anybody's into it. And so we just need to recognize that that uh, we, I don't, it's a kind of discernment, I guess. And, and, and the best clue that I can give you is that typically the songwriter tips you off as to whether this is a celebrative song or if this is a lamenting song. And so if the song is joyous and upbeat and celebrative, then that's a moment for the congregation to be like, yeah. And if the song is uh, in a minor chord and it's um, about the suffering of Christ in some meaningful, heart-sort-of-gripping way, then when those are done, then let's just enjoy what that kind of reverent silence can say and allow that to be our statement to the Lord that we get what we just got done singing and we're not just being trite and superficial, okay? So just listen to the song itself. I say we do do both really, really well. All right, so here's our guide one more time, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I'm going to ask you right now to stand with me. We're going to have an opportunity to respond with some worship now, but let's just have a moment of quiet right now.